All right. I also want to give a shout out to our, our student ministry. I know this Wednesday, if you didn't get a chance to see the photo uh, from their Zoom call, we had students, actually old students from that are living across the, the nation right now that are tuning in. Uh, very, very cool to see. Uh, I know growth groups are starting to, to, to get together through Zoom and other formats. And as uh, Amy mentioned in the, in the announcements, we're going to have a church-wide Zoom worship and prayer night on Wednesday. And so we are just looking for ways to be connected, to stay connected, and, and to most of all, uh, be connected around Jesus Christ, which is what we are going to do uh, now. So we are going to continue on in our series uh, in Acts. I do want to say this. This will be our last week in, in Acts as next week we begin our march towards Easter. Uh, and so next Sunday is uh, the first Sunday of a month. And as is our tradition, we will take communion together. So um, that will be different over video like this. So be prepared next week to, to have the elements there. Um, and so you, wherever you are, you can, uh, you can even cheat and use real wine and nobody's going to see it. And so take the elements where you are uh, and we will be prepared and are excited to do that together as we prepare our hearts for Easter and it will be meaningful because the resurrection of Christ is meaningful, and we will celebrate that together. So that's next week. But this week, we, we finished the story of, of Saul's conversion. So we're going to pick up where we left last week in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 19. Actually, the second half of 19. And this is a bit of a long section. We're going to read through verse 31 together. So let's, let's read. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on, his, on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan day and night, and they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. And when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of Jesus the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. And when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And then the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. 
So we finish up the story of Saul. I like as one person said, our story began with Saul leaving Jerusalem as a persecutor of Christians. And now our story ends with Saul leaving Jerusalem as a persecuted Christian. And I, the, the, the change that happens in Saul's life is just so powerful and a deep reminder to us all of the difference that Christ makes. Remember, Saul will go on to write himself that, that if anybody isn't alive in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And Saul experienced that himself right here as in, in, on a trip to Damascus, everything about Saul changes. As you remember last week, we left off with Ananias coming and praying over Saul and something like scales fell from his eyes. And then it said that he got up and, and he ate and he was strengthened. And evidently he needed that strength because he got right to work. As we saw this, way, this week, it says immediately at once, verse 20, he began to preach in the synagogue. So he, did, he didn't wait. And, and preaching in the synagogues wouldn't have been weird for Saul. He was a Pharisee. He, he learned uh, under a very well-known Jewish rabbi. He was considered himself an expert of the law. Teaching in synagogues was an expectation of him. What shocked everybody is that he was teaching that Jesus was, the Son of God, and it just, it, it shocked them all. They, they couldn't believe it. And they said, isn't this the guy that, that was coming here to, to kill Christians? Isn't this the guy that was raising havoc in, in Jerusalem? And now he's preaching Jesus, and the Jews there couldn't believe it. And yet, it says that, that Saul grew in power in the Lord every day as he was preaching Jesus. There's a point there that, that as we share Jesus, we will grow in our own faith in Jesus. Uh, that's not really a sermon. There's a side. There you go. Um, but it says that, that he even got to the point, because of his, of his wisdom and knowledge of the Old Testament, and he was able to prove to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. He could point that Jesus was, in fact, through Scripture, the one prophesied about. He proved it to them, but it says they wanted to kill him, which shouldn't shock us. Because even with proof, people will not believe because the gospel is offensive. It's offensive. One of the favorite sayings of atheists are that Christians are weak-minded and that we need a crutch, which always makes me laugh because I think that is uh, overestimating uh, my strength. I don't need a crutch. I need a whole new life, right? Uh, I am weak-minded and I'm weak-spirited and I am broken to my core. I don't need a crutch. I need a savior. And the reason that message is offensive is because if it's true, those who like to tout themselves in their own mind as being uh, strong and self, uh, self-reliant are offended by a message that they are broken to their core and need a Savior. The gospel is offensive because it says that you are weak, that you are beyond weak, you are broken, you are dead, and you need a Savior. And so Saul, who was the epitome of prideful strength in who he was, meets Jesus, comes face to face with his weakness, understands he is dead, comes alive in Jesus Christ, is filled with the Holy Spirit, and now he steps into the synagogue and he preaches Jesus, and it's offensive to the Jews, and so they try to kill him. 
And so it, it says that, that he hears, hears of their plan and, and his friends at night lower him in a basket out of the walls of Damascus and he's lowered down and he escapes. Now in our text, it looks like he just immediately goes to Jerusalem, but we know that's not true. Actually in Galatians, if you were studying in our Galatians 1, um, it, we actually know that he goes from there out of Damasca, Damascus for three years to Arabia. And he is, we don't know what he's doing in Arabia. It's kind of a dead zone there. We do know that in that time, he evidently is spending a lot of time with the Lord. And the Lord is downloading to him through all of his wisdom and understanding of the Old Testament, just what Jesus, the Messiah, had accomplished. So eventually, after three years of being out in Arabia, Saul comes back and he, he goes to Jerusalem. And we pick up the story there. And after three years of being off of the scene, nobody's heard of him for three years. He comes back into Jerusalem and his reputation precedes him. He still is such a scary figure that he shows back up and the Christians in Jerusalem are scared of him. We know who you are. And it takes Barnabas, and we're introduced to a guy who's going to play a major figure here in a little bit uh, as we continue on in Acts. Barnabas takes Saul and goes, no, 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 I was in Damascus. I've, I've seen and, and heard what has happened to Saul. He is legit. He takes Saul before the apostles. Saul is able to give his testimony. And Barnabas says he's been preaching with boldness there, had actually escaped persecution. So the apostles listen, and we know through Galatians 1 again that he didn't meet with all the apostles. It's just Peter and, uh, and John, and he visits with them. And then it says he moves about freely for about a period of around 15 days days, we think. Uh, he moves around Jerusalem a couple of weeks, and he is just preaching Jesus, and he is pointing people. It says that, verse 20, it says that he's preaching Jesus boldly. He's pointing people uh, boldly. Excuse me, not, not 20. Um, 28. So Saul started with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated the Jews. So he continues to point to Jesus. And once again, the Jews are offended and they try to kill him. So we know that then Peter and John take Saul and they ship him off to his hometown to Tarsus where he's going to be for about 8 to 12 years and he just falls off the grid for a little bit. Uh, he will come back as Paul the Apostle when he shows back up on the scene. It's, it's an amazing story but this is how his story ends. He is shipped off and then we're told that God graces the church with a period of peace and, and growth and but here, here is what I find interesting. There's repetition in the story. I don't know if you caught it. It happened in Damascus and it happens in, in Jerusalem. And any time in the Bible where there's repetition, it's meant for us to catch and to learn from it. The, the repetition that is there is that you have Saul preaching Jesus, Jews being offended, trying to kill him, Saul escaping that, and him then having to change his location and being gone for, for a period. That happens in Damascus. It repeats itself in Jerusalem and happens again. And so what I want us to do today is to learn from this repetition. There's a reason why God would put these two stories immediately together so that we can learn from Saul. And we see in this cycle, I think, I think three things that I'm just going to point out. There's probably a lot more there, but for us in this time... Um, first, let's, let's start with, with Saul himself with his relationship with Jesus. And, and I would say this, that the first part of this cycle that, that Saul teaches us is that Saul now defines himself 
by Jesus. He defines himself by it. Think of all the ways that, that Saul was defined before this. He was a persecutor. He was a Pharisee. He was a rabbi. He was a Jewish scholar. He was well known. He had reputation. He had prestige. He had power. He had all the things that the world, particularly the Jewish world, would have esteemed. Anywhere he walked in, he had a reputation that came before him. That's what he was defined as. He walked with power, with letters directly from the chief priests. And then on the way he meets true power in Jesus Christ, he is utterly changed. We, we've studied that story. And now immediately Saul begins to define himself through Jesus Christ. He only sees himself through Jesus Christ to the point that everything else is stripped away from him. He is willing to go into the synagogue and instead of touting his own wisdom, he touts Jesus Christ. And as a result, his reputation is ruined, his power is stripped away, his prestige is stripped away, everything is stripped away because of Jesus Christ, and yet Saul evidently doesn't care because he, after three years of wrestling with it, is still certain that Jesus is worth having everything ripped away from him for, because when he gets to Jerusalem, it happens again, and he preaches Jesus, and he debates uh, the Jews about Jesus, and again they try to, to persecute him. Everything is stripped away, and Jesus is made supreme. And that's because he's starting to see everything through Jesus. I, I, I love the quote from C.S. Lewis that says when, when he made the jump from atheism to, to a believer in Christ, he says, I have come to believe in Christianity like I believe in the sun, not because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. I love that quote. And you see, that's, that's Paul right now. It's Saul. He, he is seeing everything else through Jesus Christ. Everything. It's not like he just had a pre-existing way of life and all this power and prestige and just tried to, to stuff Jesus into it, which is how I think modern day Christianity tries to act. No, it's a the old is gone and the new has come. I am now redefined through Jesus Christ. He, the supremacy of Christ is huge to Saul, and it's something that we need to learn from. Uh, Colossians 1, 17 through 18, very famously, Saul writes this about the supremacy of Christ. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy that's Saul writing that. He says, listen to how he now defines life. It is through Christ. Everything has its moving and being. Everything, all things held together through Jesus. Jesus isn't just this God that I believe in as I go about my life. Jesus has supremacy in all things. Christ has supremacy. Can I, can I ask you? The question that is convicting my own soul, does Christ have supremacy in your life? Does Christ have supremacy in my life? I, I had a, a professor in seminary, Dr. York, shout out to him. Um, and I, in a worship class, uh, I remember him using this analogy that connected with, with me for some reason. And it's a goofy analogy, but it has always stuck with me. That was almost two decades ago. Um, and he, he said, suppose I take a pecan, 
I grew up in the South. Pecan trees are all over the place. They're a nut with, it comes from a tree. I, okay, there you go. Um, and he said, so suppose I take a pecan and I, I wrap a piece of foil around it and another piece of foil 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 and keep wrapping foil around it until I have this big ball and then I go to somebody and say, look at my pecan. They would think I'm a fool because there's nothing about this gigantic ball that looks like a pecan. Nothing is screaming pecan. And I can try to convince them, oh, no, the pecan is at the very center of this, but they can't see it. Nothing looks like pecan because of pecan because of all the things that have been added onto it. And his lesson to us was, was when you make Christ supreme, it's, it's not just about making him bigger. It's about stripping away everything else that is not supposed to be there. I had a conversation with, with uh, one of my buddies in the church uh, as I'm giving shout outs today. So now here's another one. Shout out to Kalis. Uh, and we had this wonderful conversation about what God has been teaching him through all of this. And I, I loved his words and they ministered to my own soul. He said, you know, Shelton, in... In our society, we have come to, to worship and uh, busyness, and he's taken that away. And we've come to worship sports, and he's taken that away. And we've come to worship money and jobs and all these things that we define ourselves by, and he's taken them all away. And that, that just ministered my soul. And I got this picture of God just taking our faith and ripping apart all the things that we have added to our life. And let's be honest and confessional that if you were to take most of our lives and ask the world, hey, here's a Christianity. Do you see Christ? Most likely they would see instead all the things that we have added on top of Christ into our life that we have allowed to be supreme. And what a gift of God this season is, that he is stripping all those things away. And many of us are going, oh, yeah, <laughs> this is what it's all about. This is the supreme thing in all of the world, the supremacy of Christ. And yet, as if to test Saul in his taking Christ as supreme, almost immediately he experiences trials. Almost immediately, Saul experienced hardships. It's as though he's preaching Jesus and God's going, yeah, 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 I know, I hear you, that you think Jesus is supreme. You're excited about this experience that you had with Jesus on the road. Now let's test it. Do you really see Jesus as supreme? And immediately, one of his very first experiences as a preacher of Christ is that the congregation now wants to kill him. I've never had that experience, thankfully. Saul uh, is, is immediately confronted with that, and it happens again. The next time he gets up to preach Jesus, it happens again in Jerusalem, and they want to kill him. It, it's as though God takes him and says, hey, I, I, want, I want to test your faith, and I want to give you a lesson from the very beginning. You remember when, when Jesus or the angel spoke, God spoke to Ananias. He, he told him, hey, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And evidently, God took that quite seriously. And immediately, Saul is going to be suffering for Jesus. And this is going to be the first of, of many experiences. This time he escapes, and future times he won't escape. He's going, to be, he's going to be beaten. He's going to be jailed. He's going to be shipwrecked. He's going to be ran out of town. He's going, to, I mean, he's going to experience all sorts of hardships. And it's as though right from the start, God wants to give him a lesson. And I think it's a lesson that we would do well to learn. The challenges come. 
They, they're going to come. And we don't believe in Jesus Christ because Jesus makes things comfortable and easy. I, look at this. For Saul, life got immediately harder. He moved from death to life in Christ, and at the same time, he moved from ease and comfort to hardship. And yet, if we're not careful, the gospel that we believe in is that the opposite is supposed to happen. I move from death to life, and I will move from hardship to ease. And yet, we see in Saul the exact opposite of what the prosperity gospel wants us to believe. And if you are sitting under the, the delusion of prosperity gospel, then the current season makes no sense to you. Because your peace will only be there once God removes all the hardships. But this is the guy who in prison, in Philippians, says, I have a peace that surpasses understanding. That even in prison, I can sing praises and watch prison guards come to know Christ. I can sit in the middle of hardships. I can do all things, whether in plenty or in want, through Christ who gives me strength. Because I know the secret to contentment. It is not ease and comfort. It is the supremacy of Jesus Christ in my life. Because everything else can be stripped away, and that will remain yeah and right now for all of us that's what's happening everything else is being stripped away hardships will come and not only should we expect them listen to what james says james says consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Do you hear what James says? He doesn't say just expect them to come. He says, count it pure joy when it comes. What? Which one of you are like, yay, COVID-19, yay, isolation, I am so happy, right? Some of you might be, and you're the introvert, and you're like, I've been doing isolation for a long time. Those of us that are extroverted are struggling right now. I was so excited to see faces and be able to hang out with some people tonight. And yet, James speaks to our very souls and says, no, 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 count this as pure joy because God is teaching you perseverance. And perseverance, and hear what he calls it, testing of your faith, that, that God will test your faith. So many of us, so I have this great tendency to, to still see myself as the athlete I was in high school uh, when I used to could do many an athletic feat. Uh, and so I still wake up in the morning thinking that's who I am. And so I will get up and most days do nothing athletic whatsoever. But then every now and then I go, hey, I'm an athlete. I should go do something athletic. And so I will go out for a run. And about a quarter of a mile into that run, I will realize I am nowhere near athletic. <laughs> Those days are long gone. And the perception that I have of myself is being proven incorrect by the testing of a quarter mile run, right? Like just killing me. And the reality is exposed through the heart hardship of exercise. I, I think one of the biggest things that God is doing right now is that for many of us who just consider ourselves, oh, I'm on fire for Jesus. I am a fantastic Christian. God is going, oh, really? Let me just test that for you. And it can feel like, like a, 
like a test that we should be anxious over. But when somebody loving is teaching you a lesson, somebody who loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die on a cross for you is teaching you a lesson. It is not to create anxiety in you, it is not to belittle you. It is a gift from him that we should consider pure joy. Where we can look and go, you know what? I'm actually surprised. I thought I was pretty faithful, and yet I'm struggling with anxiety right now, and I'm struggling with worry right now, and I'm struggling with isolation right now. I'm struggling with self-discipline right now. I am actually far weaker than I have thought of myself. What a gift of God that revelation is, according to James. It may not feel like a gift, but let Scripture just shift that. See, Saul's going to take his hardships, and he learns from them. Immediately he learns from them. He's going to repeat this everywhere he goes. He will be persecuted. And yet he does not waver in Jesus Christ because he learned from them. He was given the gift of perseverance. Oh God, that you would give us the gift of perseverance. That you would remove the crutches of comfort and ease that has propped us up in our faith for too long. That in a time of hardship, we would believe in you because you were strong and good, not because you have made things easy. And that ultimately is the challenge here. It, it, it is what we're having to learn in this, in this season. And at the end of each of these seasons of, of challenge, both in Damascus and, and in Jerusalem, which by the way, let's just pause. Saul has people trying to kill him. Our persecution right now, our trial right now, is that I have to sit at home and eat chips and salsa all day long and watch Netflix with my kids. Woe is me, right? There are real believers who, when they read James, right now around the world, they read James 1, 2, and 4, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. They're facing the exact same trials that, that Saul did. They are being hunted and, and down and plots being made against them for their faith. So let's just pause and have perspective. Uh, maybe even right now, just as that sits, let's just pause. Um, this is from my, my, my brother, Alan Randall, uh, who is always pushing me to remember the martyrs in the world. Let's just pause right now, and I'm going to say a prayer um, in, in for, for the martyrs. God, we, uh, and the persecuted, God, we, just strikes me right now as, as, as I'm talking about our trials. Um, there are brothers and sisters around the world that are facing trials of much heavier weight. And we are praying for them. Would you strengthen them down to their core? God, may they be filled with the gift of your, of your power, of your uh, peace that surpasses understanding. May they have the power within them to understand and grasp how wide and deep and long and high is your love for them, God, that, that they would just rest in that. Yeah, God, we just lift them up in Jesus' name. Amen. Alan, thank you for always pushing me to remember that, and we should all remember that. Finally, at the end of, of his being hunted, Saul in both times escapes. 
And so he is lowered in Damascus through a, on, a, on, a, on a basket through the wall. And in Jerusalem, they, they sneak him out and they send him off to Tarsus. In Damascus, he escapes for three years. Uh, when he escapes to Tarsus, we think eight to 12 years. And think about all the changes that brings with it for Saul. And this would be the last little thing. If, if Saul redefines himself in Christ, he, he experiences and learns from his trials. And, and, and now I would tell you, he embraces the changes. Out of love for Christ, he embraces the changes. Can I tell you one of the, one of the quickest ways to disappointment in life is to hate change, <laughs> to fight against change. You will be miserable in life because life changes. It always changes, particularly when you invite Christ into your life. Oh, will there be changes? Uh, Max Lucado is fond of saying, of, uh, Jesus loves you just the way you are. He just doesn't intend to leave you that way. I, I love that line. It, he's, he's the master renovator. He comes in and he changes everything. Think about all that has changed for Paul. This guy leaves Damascus or leaves Jerusalem <laughs> to go to Damascus and everything that he thought he knew about life has completely changed. And now he's leaving Jerusalem a second time and he is a persecuted Christian. And he's being shipped off in silence for 12 years back to his hometown. And everything he thought he knew. Um, and, and he's going to come back on the scene as, as an apostle. And even then his life will be full of changes as he goes around the, the Roman world sharing, sharing Christ. Change is all around him. Um, and, and there's a way, I, I came across this quote that had me thinking about this change that, that I, I, I love um, about this as I was studying this. Um, this person writes, he, he was Saul of Tarsus, the young and successful energetic rabbi. Then he was Saul the persecutor. Then he became Saul the blind. Then he became Saul the convert. And then Saul the preacher. Yet before he became Paul the apostle, he spent somewhere between 8 to 12 years as Saul the unknown. But those were not wasted years. There were good and necessary years. I love that. I love that. Think about all those different seasons of Saul's life. He'll, he'll later say, at just the right time, Christ came and got me. And he sent me, I, he said, I was chosen from birth. And yet at the right time, he, he came and got me. And, and I, you can tell Saul has thought about all the changes that happens in his life. And he embraced each one of them as they came. And even going into Tarsus in those unknown years, you might be, I, I just like that quote for, for Paul's, for some of you. I, I know we have uh, Rebecca, um, Kylie, those of you that are home from college right now, this feels like life has just been put on pause and it's terrible. God doesn't waste years. He doesn't waste things. He doesn't waste time. God is not thwarted. And so even for, for Saul, he was in those unknown years. And we can be so eager for that next thing that we miss what God is doing right here and now. And I just want to encourage you, God, God is not, these are not unnecessary months that you're having to spend at home. God is up to something in your life. One of my favorite passages of Scripture comes in Ecclesiastes 3. And you remember Ecclesiastes 3. It's where there's a time to, to live and there's a time to die. There's a time to laugh and there's a time to cry. There's a time for peace. There's a time for war. It goes through this whole list. And, and in Ecclesiastes uh, 3, 
I, th I think it's somewhere around verse 11. He says, and God has made everything beautiful in its time. I love that. I love that. It, it has always ministered to me, and I just want to pass this along to you, that it's God who has the power to change seasons, not you. Just as he makes it from, from winter to spring and spring to summer, it's God who changes seasons, sits enthroned, all of that. And you will be frustrated beyond belief when you find yourself in a season longing and trying to change it to some other different season when Scripture says that God has made something beautiful in every season, which means there's something beautiful for you in this season right now. Whatever God is doing, there's something beautiful in it. Embrace it. God will change the season. A time will come when this too shall pass. And, and who knows what, what is going to happen between here and there. We might endure an even harder season. And yet, guess what? There's something beautiful in every season. And you know what the joy is when you are the child of the sovereign, powerful God of the universe? Is that you're not scared of the seasons changing is that you can sit under that even in hard times in a hospital room, Deborah waiting for a surgery that you can't have yet, and it can be painful and hard. And even then you say, God has something beautiful he's doing in my life in this season right now. What an awesome perspective and reality to have that God does not waste seasons. He's doing something for Saul 12 years out into the unknown of having to go back home, talking about having to go back home for a couple months, uh, college students. Saul had, had graduated and gone all off to Jew, Jewish, you know, professional life in Jerusalem. And now he's back home for 12 years being kicked out of that world. And yet God does not waste it. And so I just want to, I just want to encourage you where you are. And we'll, we'll invite, um, invite the crew back up to worship. I, I just want to encourage you where you are that to sit in, in faith and making Christ supreme in your life like Saul does, of saying, man, God, you, everything ha moves and has its existence through Jesus. He, he is supreme above everything. Maybe you just need to say that word, everything. He, everything. There are no governments, there are no decisions, there are no illnesses that are more supreme than he is. And he loves you so much as the supreme creator, as the supreme sustainer, as the supreme savior, that he'll even go to work stripping away the false things that we put in place of his supremacy. And as we sit in that and we allow him to purify our faith, and we look for it and go, you know what, there's something beautiful in this season of change. We can sit as children of God and know, hey, there's a day, an eternal sunshine day, where there will be no more change. It will only be Jesus on his throne and me sitting in his glory for eternity. But until then, until then, as Paul will say, if I'm on this side, then it's fruitful labor for Christ. He is supreme. I am running after him. And that's my prayer for you in this season. As he strips everything away, his ultimate aim, friends, and I'm talking to myself too, 
Paseo family, his ultimate aim is not our comfort. It's his glory. And here's the ironic part. In actuality, in eternity, our greatest comfort, our greatest joys will be found in his glory. So in a huge roundabout way, he is actually after our comfort. But it will be found in his glorious throne when we see him fully. In the meantime, he is willing for us to endure uncomfortable, hard seasons that we might see what is truly supreme in the universe. And that's the greatest thing he can do for us. Paul had to learn it. He had to experience it. And now we are too. Let's thank him for that. God, you are good. You are good and you are powerful, Jesus. We proclaim with Paul that you are supreme. that in you everything lives and breathes and moves. That Jesus, you were before all time and you spoke things into being. Jesus, you stepped down into time and you took on the sin of mankind. Jesus, you rose from the dead as we'll celebrate in the weeks to come, defeating death for all time. That none of this should scare us and we should not fear. Jesus, we can follow you. We can seek your kingdom Above all other things, we can seek it supremely, trusting you to take care of our needs along the way. And in seasons of plenty and in seasons of want, we have learned the secret of contentment. It is all through you. It is all through you. Father, would you do a work inside of us that we would learn the lessons that Saul learned here in his early days of faith? May we take it down to our core and may the end result in our lives as a church, as individuals, be what it was in Saul's life. However long you need to work it, however long you need to do it, may it be your glory through us to the ends of the earth. We pray that. We receive that. We ask that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.